We're recording. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, hey guys. So this is an interesting week, and all we can think about is the Lego Startup Expo. That a tech point, right? The Lego Startup Expo is supposed to be this huge, massive opportunity to come and exhibit that awesome stuff you're building. And well, we the marketing language has been saying awesome stuff, but the core of it is if you're solving a problem for anybody whether it's for customers or for business. So are you helping kids access better education? Are you helping people make payments? Are you helping freelancers manage your work well? Are you helping fashion designers build really, really good stuff? So are you helping startups handle legal uh, issues? Are you helping them design their office spaces? These, these are these are the platforms, platforms like the Lego Startup Expo that help you showcase this product and help you interact with customers in a way that you've never seen before. And of course, if if you're a founder that cares about customers in any way, shape or form, this this event is for you, trust me. Yeah, and I hope you guys are excited too. Why are you guys looking at me like that? You guys are not excited, oh boy. Oh. We did not want to interrupt so that they can use that snippet for something else oh oh nice 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 thinking nice are, are you sure are you sure that was the intention yeah, that was, that was, that was, was that your nice. intention or you were just waiting for me to finish talking i sure don't know you sure don't know finish up without they can oh yeah 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 so of course if you're listening to this you guys can cut and join it if you're listening to this head over to the lego startup expo website legostartupexpo.com yeah we secure that domain very 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 quickly but yeah legostartupexpo.com and it's it, we call it the Lagos Startup Expo, but it's more of a regional thing. So if you're offering any service from any region in Nigeria or West Africa, all roads lead to Lagos actually. So Lagos is like the economic hub for West Africa basically. So head over to LagosStartupExpo.com and you can reach out to us, news at Techpoint Africa, or more importantly, reach out to the business team, business at Techpoint Africa, and they'll be willing to answer any and every question you have. Again. If you really care about having customers, come to Lego Startup Expo. So this week, we're going to be talking about a bunch of things that have to do with what customers have been experiencing in the past few weeks. So there's this issue with virtual card payments, right? Customers in Nigeria, all over Nigeria, are having issues paying for stuff. like. Things as little as Udemy courses. I think the only thing I can pay with my bank app right now is Google, Google Drive. Uh, Google One. Google One. Yeah, and it's, I find it weird that that's the only thing you can pay with. Google is not missing out on any of the payments. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But YouTube Premium and all those other awesome stuff. Well, yeah. But we saw an article uh, on TechCrunch. Union Fifty Four CEO Persish Lambo talked about the experience with the whole chargeback fraud thing. Now, you mentioned chargeback fraud. What does chargeback fraud actually mean? So give us a context about Union 54. Why are they important to do this whole paying with dollars thing? Then what was the fraud thing that happened? Okay. So the the startups that give you your virtual dollar cards, or in some cases, um, actual dollar cards, they don't all... They need like a third party to provide this service. So the person just gives them access to the API and then they can now generate it. So the third party basically does the heavy lifting for them on the back end. And then they are able to maybe at the click of a button issue you a virtual dollar card. Um, so 
Union 54 was the YC-backed company, and they were doing this for a lot of the Nigerian startups that were doing it. And sometime last year, we heard that they were packing up that service. Are they Nigerian? No, they are not. Um, they, are, they are not. Zambia, so, right? Yeah, I think Zambian. Yeah, okay. So, well, at least the founder is um, Zambian. Zambian. So they packed up and they decided that they were going to pause that, that service for a while until they figure out. And there was a hint that, okay, the problem from this is it wasn't like a technical issue. It was more from the, um, like it was, they were having a lot of fraud. So we asked what chargeback fraud is. So if you make a payment and that payment fails, you can request like when so when you try to send money to me and it doesn't go through, and then your bank reports or the reverse that transaction that's a chargeback. So the fraud there is now when I didn't make a payment, and then I go to my bank and I say, oh, I made a payment from Onome, and then the bank now has to refund me, and it's a big deal because businesses yes, so they don't they won't go to the person who they made the transaction to. That's why you're not hearing maybe a Jimmy telling that they have chargeback fraud right now. So they're not going so, to the person. But you said you didn't make any transaction. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's that's why it's fraudulent. Yeah, but when, for instance, if I want to reach out to my bank for a mm-hmm. transaction, they ask yeah. for the transaction ID. Yeah. So how does that fraud work without that transaction ID? So I the technical details are it's not it's not there there isn't like a lot of technical details. So it's just me starting a claims process for a transaction that, that never happened. happened. But why and would they answer me when I can't prove that I did the transaction? Well, they are not coming to, they won't come to the um, Union 54, for example. They are coming to maybe the banking partners that they are working with because um, Union 54 won't hold funds. So let's say you make, an, you, you make a payment through a third-party fintech and Normally, you're going to dispute with your bank because a lot of the fraud or maybe a lot of the issues would come from your financial institution, not really from the service provider. Which is why, so you said Unifactor will not hold funds, right? Yeah. So let's say I went to withdraw from an ATM. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to use relatable examples. Yeah, yeah okay. So what, what will now happen is when this happens, the bank will refund the money, but they will come back to the person who was issuing, issuing the, card. the card. So MasterCard or Visa, for yeah, instance. And tell you, okay, chief. We, you are owing us X amount of money in chargeback in chargebacks. Now it's not a case of you going ahead to pay. You probably will have to pay them. In short, you definitely have to pay them. But the problem is that uh, so actually it's a big deal for a lot of startups, not just in Nigeria. Mm. And um, he mentioned it in that interview that startups across the world suffer from that. I can't remember the exact figures, um, but uh, about seventy nine billion dollars or so is lost to chargeback fraud annually. Mm. So that's huge for any business. And yeah, that was the ma- major reason. So something he mentioned is that the problem wasn't coming from them. It was coming from the fintech st- uh, startups they were protecting. So, oh, sorry, serving. So these guys did not have a very, very good way of finding out that they were being defrauded. So when that happens, it's now either they are passing the cost on to um, Union 54. So basically it was a lot of hazard. And the thing is, um, he mentioned that they had to decline transactions like to safeguard themselves because they will have to pay. So they had to decline a lot of transactions. And as they were doing it, he mentioned that um, Netflix and a lot of other people who customers were trying to use these cards to pay for services. You're now calling them to find out 
why they were declining a lot of transactions. So it's not good for them as a business, mm. but continuing the service, as you mentioned, would mean they will spend their money to pay back this fraud. I think he said in a very short while, they racked up up to half a million dollars in like in chargeback fraud. Wow. And if they had continued, this is, I think, eight or nine months since they stopped that service. If they had continued, they would have incurred more. more and I think they raised plus. maybe was it five million or so. So if you if you did five, half a million in such a short period, I wonder how long before you finish all the money that you raised. That you raised. Mm. Okay. So my, my, my question is, if the fraud, is it coming from customers? Yeah, yeah it's, it's coming from customers. So people that say they made a transaction and they claim they claim the transaction did not yeah. happen. I mean, they claim the transaction failed, but no transaction actually happened in the first place. Which was why I was asking, say they usually transaction ID to identify. There's always a record, right? Yeah. If a transaction fails or if it did not. So are they formulating transaction IDs? Well, um, the it's not like it's casual people that are doing this. I mean, Fair point. if I don't have some level of maybe technical skill, I probably will not be engaging in chargeback fraud. Hmm. But it's, it's not like, and it's also not, so the way we have like content farms that yeah, people are farming out or like just creating content, you could also have people who this is their own, um, this is like their own specialty, hmm. ensuring that they defraud companies like this. Hmm. And he mentioned that there was a particular startup that they, they found out that there were too many transactions being done. And then they reached out to them to say, oh, there are too many transactions being done on your start on your end. What's happening? And then those guys said, I mean, it's normal. It's part of growth. It's growth. Mm-hmm. A few hours later, they reached out and were like, ah, you guys are right. Too. There's something wrong somewhere. So, I mean, you may see that there's a lot of transactions on your end and then it's not actual transactions. So they are just people trying to defraud you. So one thing he mentioned is very, I think we had, we had an interview with, um, was it what's the guy again? Sige. Yeah. yeah. And he talked about um how fraud is a big deal in Nigerian, especially Nigerian fintech. And you always hear on Twitter people say, Oh, uh hoggy fintech founder. And that's because um these are like existential how, how do you put it that? Like these are these are problems that you will definitely face. Whether it's someone trying to defraud you or maybe your service is not working or something. So You know, the thing is, okay, I almost tweeted this or put it on my LinkedIn yesterday you know, when I was in traffic. Well, the issue is, I usually, I'm usually angrier when I'm in traffic. So, I mean, the last <laughs> I mean, time everybody I... Everybody is. No, the last time I posted something controversial on social media, it was yeah, in traffic. traffic. So... But, <laughs> but, yeah, what I'm thinking, I mean, everybody's saying hug a fintech founder. I mm. don't... I don't know why I don't pity them sometimes. Why? Okay, I know why I don't pity them sometimes. I mean, what they're doing is really hard. It's really difficult. Yeah. But if you're interviewing these guys, you're always hearing, yeah, we don't have competitors, we're collaborators. The sky is big enough for everybody to be. Then how come the froster uses the same technique to the fraud company A, then rinse, rinse it. And it doesn't even use hypo to rinse it. It doesn't dip inside water. Then <laughs> drops it inside company B. And then company A and company B, who are collaborators and who the sky is big enough for everybody to flourish, don't talk to each other. Well, I mean, I, I think it's obvious now that in reality, nobody is collaborating. Okay, well, not nobody. No, no, f- few of them are. Few of them are. Few of them are. Not all of them. I think the collaboration is more on paper than 
in practice because it would have been easy for you to say, oh, something like this happened, watch out for it. And then the next person is um, is like able to take precautions before time. But I think it could be that, okay, yes, their job is difficult. I, I, I won't, I mean, everybody's job is difficult. Their job is difficult. But one of the reasons why I don't pity them a lot is that banks have been running financial services for decades. And yes, there was no social media and all for us to hype them up. But they've not been complaining and saying, oh, yeah, pray, the money oh, pray for us. Yeah, yeah, that's been happening, though. yeah, of course it, it has but, been. And it has but been I think for yeah. banks, a lot of it is uh, insider jobs. Yeah. And then the fact that something happens and you try not to, and you try to cover it, which is something else that um, is curious. I mean, he mentioned that one of the reasons they didn't speak after that happened, like immediately after it happened, was that they were trying to weigh the possible effects. Mm. So if we speak, People we may have to mention the startup that was involved. Mm. And if we mention the startup that is involved, what effects does it have on that startup's business? Mm. Which makes sense. Um, if, if they are maybe the kind of startup that I don't know, maybe they hold money mm. and people will feel, oh, maybe we should go pull out our money because yes, it's, it's, I mean, it's a very, very touchy topic. But that makes me wonder how many things do we have to not talk about because of the supposed effect on the ecosystem. ecosystem. So I, I, maybe it's not, this is not the right place to be talking about it on the podcast. And I'm mm. sorry, our listeners, but something clicked in my head a few days ago and I realized that, okay, the startups, the reason why most of these guys actually caught foreign media. Mm. So if, for instance, Union 54 CEO wanted to make amends with customers, mm. where is he going to go to have this kind of interview? If he wants to make amends with investors, where is he going to go to have this kind of interview? I'm not going to say anything more than that. But for the case of, say, hey, nobody's going to talk because of how it's going to affect the ecosystem, mm-hmm. it's a very, very tricky subject. And you have to realize that, okay, the more these companies grow, the more even we media companies also grow, right? Tech points growing in prominence. Tech about growing in prominence. All are a direct reflection of the ecosystem that's also growing alongside. The same thing can be said about TechCrunch. If the Silicon Valley uh, US tech ecosystem wasn't as big, maybe TechCrunch wouldn't as big, be as big. Same thing with Sifted in Europe or Tech in Asia, all these other platforms. So I get the argument, right? But as journalists, we need to find a balance, right? Oh, yeah, I never, it's not even from the media. I mean, of course, the media doesn't. No, the media is the one that is doing the talking, isn't yeah, it? No, no, yeah. Well, we or start conversations in some cases. Talk. Or, yeah, but. Um, when people always say those lines that um, it's it's going to hurt the ecosystem, I I feel that you are being you're just trying to like hide the yeah, real uh, like you the don't fund, want accountability. Like That's the founder it. of Two Unicorn said, if if yeah. it's better we don't tell the story. Yeah, like, <laughs> and uh, you know you know what's funny is that for so long we went on crying about how we need to tell the African, African story. story. It's fine. And then fine. when we started telling the African story, it now changed to, oh, we need to tell the nice parts of the African story. And here's the thing, it's not just founders that do it. Um, I've seen a few people who say that they are telling, that they are telling stories, that um, the stories in Africa are not just wars, 
um, political instability. But these are our stories. If we are being realistic, <laughs> these are our stories. And Chimamanda talked about the danger of a single, single story. story, right? We can't make the same mistake that the Western media made. We had the focus on only the bad side. And then because we are trying to balance things up, it's one of the reasons why we don't have like very, very good accounts of our history. So um, in the early days, we are trying to dispute the fact that we are not the dark continent. And in doing that, a lot of our history was stood around our exploits. We never ever talked about all the bad things that happened in Africa because they happened. We are human beings. And then all of a sudden, we now maybe 70 years later, we are now looking at how to tell a complete history. So in order for us to get this complete story, I think it's important that, yes, we tell the good stories, mm. but we also tell the bad, bad or stories. not so good stories. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes sense, right? And talking about fintech sharing information and telling all these stories together, there's a an initiative from the government called Open Banking, right? We talked about it a few yeah. weeks ago. Then we saw an exclusive exclusive story on Tech About that talked about the fact that oh the CBN wants NIPs to control open banking. Now in this very concept, it starts to have us thinking, okay, what is the plan? And if it's supposed to be open banking, why won't have why do you want to have one central body uh control it? So we didn't jump on the story because we're not able to confirm from our own end. But I'm hearing that okay the CBN has backed out and all of that. But the question I have in my head is, for open banking to truly work, what kind of regulation needs to guide this? Because, mm-hmm. no, we are talking about fintech sharing data with themselves, right? As you keep mentioned something in the last podcast, like it's not so simple to just ask fintechs to share. Just be sharing data. They are, they might call themselves collaborators on Twitter. They are still business But people. they are still business people. They are still computers, yeah. right? Do you need to have central bodies or companies whose primary responsibility is to hold this data? Mm-hmm. So the lending sector has credit bureaus, right? Mm-hmm. The banks don't report to themselves, they report to the credit bureaus. Mm-hmm. Now, do we need to have that for all the fintechs? Mm-hmm. And we heard of uh, fintech CEOs coming together to build something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But in the context of open banking, because open banking is a lot more open than just fintech sharing data, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to be involving retail chains. We're going to be involving property management companies, logistics, logistics right? So what is leading me to ask questions, what are the things that we need to actually put in place for? Maybe it shouldn't be, I should be asking the question, but let's, uh, let us ask it down first. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you want to get an answer to that question, um, Visit TechMentor.Africa on Tuesday. You get an answer to your question. Mm, okay. On Tuesday? Yes. Next, week, Next Tuesday. week, Tuesday. You get an answer to that question. Okay, so you're not answering it now? No, I'm not. You're not answering it now. Okay, so we should just move on. We can't give everything. So, mm. so, so we should just move my, on. My thought is why I understand the, um, the way the Nigerian system works sometimes where you have to subsume something on another thing to make it look like, okay, we own this. So, but I'm thinking, what 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 could be the implication of NIBSS mm. taking over open banking? Because mm. they all have to do with data a lot, and NIBS, let's say it has been like it, it's one of the things that have supported the workings of fintech in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. You get when it comes to transactions and like moving money from one bank to another with yeah. a snap, you get. NIPS has been very resourceful for that 
in it has been a framework that works. Do you agree? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So bringing open banking to NIPS, yeah. I don't. Is there like a negative connotation to it, or it's kind of more like so NIPS is kind of like that. It sits in that gray area where you are not sure if it's a competitor mm. or a regulator. That's what NIPS is like. Oh. Yeah, that, oh. could, that could be your idea. Oh, skeptical about it. Now yeah. I get, I get. It sits in that gray area, right? NIMS was f- like a coalition between the CBN itself yes, okay. and the banks. It's like owned by a private um, company on its own. So now, oh, I get. So now it's I get. kind of feels like a private company, but it kind of feels like, oh, this is like the regulators, uh, an extension of the CBN in the payment space right and yeah don't get me wrong they've done a fantastic job mm-hmm. over the years but which is why i'm asking what is the right way to actually because i understand that okay for you to have this open there's a framework which of course we'll be discussing on tuesday next week there's an open banking framework so i'm sure in that framework there are guidelines on how this open banking should be regulated and everything should be done properly so yeah so i think the cbn should be in charge I mean, I, I think that that's still the that's still the yeah. Idea. But NIBS, if it was NIBS. CBN, mm. we know that okay, it's regulator mm-hmm. that is doing this. But NIBS is, I mean, <laughs> wait, even the CBN, even the CBN, uh, they are gradually entering into that gray area. So it's no longer a case of oh, we are strictly regulating your industry. They are entering. I mean, coming, uh, as as SCG said. It's a very tough market. Like when a regulator is trying to act like a competitor, mm. it's it a problem. Dicey because and you are never, you are never on the. On you the don't know. End. So it's one thing for me to have issues with, uh, with a competitor. It's another thing now to have an issue with a competitor regulator. Like sure you don't know. I never win. How do you win? <laughs> I mean, I imagine the scare Naples gave us in 2020 where. Wanted to deduct two percent of the revenue of logistic mm. companies. Thank God that policy did not see the light of day. They need that act came. They wanted, and yeah, trust me, a lot of things are happening in that digital space that we're not talking about outside. In terms of regulators actually starting to act like competitors, they want. Mm. They don't know. Want, they don't know want to, They no longer want to be just be the umpire. They want to actually be a player. Imagine you're a free. <laughs> He's also one of the players. <laughs> I can't imagine. No, no, the best way to capture this is wrestling, where you are doing a tag team match, and the referee is it's, one of the wrestlers. Right? How? How? So, if it's not at, at top, no, at the one on top, nobody is going to count three. Uh, well, maybe as you're as you're on the ground, he he joins the person that is <laughs> pinning you down to pin you down, and then <laughs> she's the other hand. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice one, right? And uh, a lot of things could happen. You could see people start rebelling against the government. You could see the government, people in the government start revealing things. Those like Twitter employees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, actually, it's, it's a... It's not like it's confirmed that it's a Twitter employee that did it. Mm. But what happened was that um, Twitter source code was leaked on GTOB. GitHub is like a repository for code, code management. For code management. Where control. Control. Yeah. Collaborate. So some people put their codes there and put it behind walls. See, they are closed. Some make make theirs open source. 
Um, so Twitter's Twitter source code was leaked, supposedly leaked, and well, they've gained access back. But it was some people um, said that it might be a an ex employee that was fired in 2022 when mm. Elon Musk came in. Mm, Elon, that <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk came in. Elon Musk. I, I didn't say that. Elon Musk. No, oh boy. <laughs> you are my witness. I didn't say anything like that. These people are your witness. Who are, who are the listeners. Oh, and listeners. I, I, I listeners. <laughs> 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 I'm speaking to myself here. So, um, when Elon Musk came in as the CEO, so I think th- this is just one of the things that we get to talk about when you fire people without the without doing without being humane about it. You get. We understand the fact that people have to go. You've made. Um, terrible economic um, decision in the past, so you have to remedy it. Is mm. it was it not was it last year that we mentioned that Amazon actually gained almost like almost a million employee, like I had almost a million employee between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one, and now it's trying to shed them a little little by little so we understand that those kind of things have to happen but how do you make it happen do you just send them email by 3 a.m <laughs> tell them that don't come to work tomorrow you've been logged out of your work account or you you don't even care about paying severance packages on the long run if it doesn't have an impact on your brand it definitely have impact on, on your source your code get <laughs> 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 you get it if you don't get it so this, this is this is warning Oh, everybody that is about to fire so yeah i'm thinking of african startup founders i want to fire their engineers <laughs> you don't know what these guys no, have no, access so to there's nothing about you just have to do it properly who which bank? all these banking apps right they've leaked the code <laughs> or they want to destroy they've put else before if in his <laughs> <laughs> until you need, need them and everything scatters uh, hmm. but you're saying there's nothing to lay now like it's a normal thing it has come to stay as it were so, but okay, the, the issue with laying off, right? A company that operates in a lean model. You know, we were talking about in the last time where these startups, especially these big tech companies, were hiring people they didn't need to hire. Mm-hmm. They were acquiring companies and pushing those companies into the system to say, hey, you guys don't want, to, we don't want you to build our next competitor, right? Mm-hmm. When that has been the model for a long while, when you are doing ambitious passion projects, why decide to lay off the first thing the first thing that comes to your mind is lay off because so I don't when the first thing see when <laughs> when the first thing that comes to your mind when you start making money mm. is hiring plenty of people the next thing that will come the first thing that will come to your mind when you are losing money yes is to let go of those people. people because sometimes you just do it for you just hire people for um what's the word for <laughs> not for fun <laughs> just for the numbers hmm. yeah for the numbers and in a way some people do it because they don't want the people that the current employees to be overworked which it's eventually going to turn back to because the number of your customers that you supposedly got that time when you hired people if they are going to reduce you're not going to reduce in the same frequency as you are laying off so 
at the end of the day, the current employees are going to be overworked. Well, the idea is with the advent of AI tools, Copilot, ChatGPT, GPT-4, blah, 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 and there's, I can't even keep up right now. There are so many, many of them. Yeah. The idea is one intermediate level engineer can handle a ton of tasks. One senior engineer no longer needs an intern or a junior engineer to shadow him. He just needs GPT-4, right? So that workload that you are want to give five engineers, you can give ChatGPT or Copilot. I have to do it for you. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. Okay. But what I believe is that um, automation, what we think AI should be doing for us at this particular moment is is actually what automation actually is doing when it comes to taking people's job and that is doing repetitive work. When it has to do with creative work, right? You have to give this AI because they cannot think exactly like even though you are trying to build cognitive um, mm. capabilities into them, right? Yeah. You have to train them to reach that level. Mm. You get, and a computer is as smart as who is using it. Mm. Yes. So if you go and put an intermediate person in the particular role, expecting the person to give GPT-4 a mm. prompt that should bring you a very like solid work, the person cannot do it beyond what they think. I mean, prompt engineer is becoming a thing. Yes, eventually <laughs> you get eventually. Yeah. But there's there's still a limit to, to what, what your what capacity you and it is what your capacity is that the AI builds on. So for now, I don't think we should be scared of AI trying to take away people's job in the real sense. Right? When your work is not repetitive, if it has to do with being creative and thinking, hmm. the only thing it can do is supplement what you already have in your brain. That mm. is just it. So I don't think, especially in Africa, I don't think it's something that we, that should, we should be scared, be scared of. of. Delaying us is because people don't have money. <laughs> Pay the next salary. Or probably yeah, should African startups be scared uh, that they will lose, like reveal sensitive information? I of mean, course. there's a way Apple does it, right? In Apple, one of the reasons why they've been a very, very, very secretive company, you unlike Google where they release or you know all the phones Google is about to release in the next five years. Samsung, everybody knew the specs of Samsung, but Apple kind of leaves you guessing. They are occasional leaks, but they, how they do it is people don't work. No one person knows the entire big picture. Mm. You know that system now where everybody just knows the small yes. parts, the others contributing to the big picture. So, very, very, very select few. What if you're not going to sack those select few? <laughs> Because that's how you have to be strategic the in firing. Few are the ones that are doing the firing. Well, when was this thing wanted to fire? He asked to speak to his managers. Who and who should we let go? Mm. He gets. You have to mm. be strategic about it. You won't mm. go and let go. If Amazon too. I mean, it's common. It's, if you're going to fire, you're the CEO of like a three thousand person company. You definitely do not know everybody. Yeah. So if you wake up, except you want to do like maybe cast lots. <laughs> I said bulk email. This guy. Name starts with E. Let's suck everybody that their name starts with E. <laughs> so if you want to do that, I'm going to deny you. You got to fire your chief engineer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. That, those are cool ones and those are interesting stories. So now let's do quick follow ups on some stories from that we've talked about in the previous, in previous weeks. There's a few weeks ago, I talked about who is building the African GPT 4. And yeah, shout out to. Uh, Abraham Augustine of Techabal for an interesting story. He, the story was like, oh, Africa is not missing out on AI. 
you are not just noticing. And yeah, it was an interesting piece and some thought-provoking concepts. That, yeah, but my issue was the companies mentioned. Of all the companies mentioned there, InstaDeep is probably the only one I would actually lean towards saying that. Me, I know for a fact that one of the companies there is Bobo. <laughs> but I can't say it out, obviously. But one block. of them <laughs> is <traffic>. Bobo. Mainland. <laughs> it's just really basic. There's no, there's no AI machine or anything. Which is why, so far so good, if I see a startup pitching something and say there isn't AI machine learning, my alarm bells are ringing. Like two, three things that makes my alarm bell rings in the ecosystem right now, blockchain, AI and machine learning. If I see deep learning, I can stone you. <laughs> then three, when everybody in the ecosystem is praising you, my alarm bells start ringing. Mm. If I see people praising you so much on Twitter, I'm like, hmm. Until I use the service, I won't believe that what you are doing is good. So, but yeah, uh, I, I think I saw an interview with uh, Semaphore. Uh, Alex talked with, an executive at NVIDIA and mentioned Ghana NLP. So Ghana NLP is trying to uh, to build a platform to help uh, analyze and recreate African languages. So <coughs> Ghanaian languages and African languages in extension. So they're actually building... I remember Abakia Dinli. Abakia Dinli, yes. So we have an article on that. Yeah, check out the article on Abake. Then, of course, I saw pockets of different startups, really amazing startups that are doing interesting stuff with AI machine learning. There's Data Prophet, for instance, in South Africa. And I also met a lawyer who builds an AI assistant based on GPT, on ChatGPT. So you can integrate that AI assistant into your Microsoft Word document. Mm -hmm. So you can ask it to build a contract, build an MOU, write an MOU. That is just like the first step. You only still have to go and consult a lawyer to actually find out that, oh, hope there's nothing missing because a flaw with ChatGPT is, it looks nice if you are not a subject matter expert. It looks very, very correct. But if you're a subject matter expert, you, have you to spot do. the difference, you spot it. And sometimes too, it gives you erroneous responses. Yeah, it gives you erroneous You responses. have to search. So you're saying that subject matter experts should not be scared of most likely no most likely no most likely no but yeah AI development across the region is going and yeah i'm what i found out rich right i've looked at some companies there are different different organizations working on different machine learning models what i found out was not enough for me to come and eat pepper on this podcast for so, uh, what what does that what does that reference to take it's back pepper. your words what does eat pepper mean? No, 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 no. I, I said if I find I'll anybody, <laughs> I said if I find anybody building the African GPT-4 mm -hmm. or GPT-3.5, mm -hmm. I will come and eat pepper on the podcast. Oh, so literally. Literally eat pepper. Okay. Yes. So, what's pepper? Red or? Red pepper. Ah. Alepino. Not jalapeno, please, oh, please, oh. I, it's just rodo. <laughs> rodo. Red body. Small rodo. In fact, those big, big ones, I don't use pepper too much. I didn't get, tell you the kind of pepper. But yeah, Ghana has, actually has a Google AI research lab and the Ghana NLP. But Ghana NLP, I wouldn't say it's on the same level as GPT-3 yet. Not even close. Not even, probably not. But it's even possible that they're even using GPT-3 to train these uh, language uh, models that they are building, right? So you can build on 
platforms like GPT-3. So yeah, most of the companies that are working in the AI space in Africa are not doing consumer-facing stuff. They're doing enterprise-level stuff. They're helping with marketing. But yeah, we, we have- I think it's uh, our access to data. Yeah, us back which is what lot. Ghana is, NLP is doing. Because that's what you can only, that's, that's like the framework for any artificial intelligence you are yeah. bringing, you are building rather. Yeah, definitely. So I think that, which is why I actually like what Ghanaian AP is doing. They actually, they are, the more focus is on actually building these data sets mm-hmm. so that you can use it to train these models, yeah. which for me, I think is very, very, very important. So yeah, that was the follow up on GPT-4 and GPT-3.5. It was an interesting one. And of course, we mentioned that Kenya licensed some loan apps yeah. Yeah. and digital service providers. How many more? Ten more. Ten. Ten more. It's an interesting one. Based on the chart that will be shown on your screen right now, you see that Kenya does not easily give licenses to fintech companies. You can look at all our stories on Corape, Flutterwave. A lot of issues have come out because of this. But yeah, check out. It's a very, very minute percentage of companies in Kenya that get licenses. And well, what else? Our newsletters. Don't forget to follow FinTech today. We discuss all everything happening in FinTech. Don't forget to follow the Workaholic. As ironic as it sounds, it means you should be following the Workaholic for the latest gists. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> for the latest gists on work. Everything work. HR, layoffs, everything, everything. Just come and have this. Then you, you see the occasional experts that have built a really, really amazing career and you get to learn from them. And don't forget the Lego Startup Expo. LegoStartupExpo.com. You're a founder and you want to really build an amazing customer base, an amazing and engaged customer base. Lego Startup Expo is for you. And if you're a customer, come and discover the solution to your problems. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a preacher. <laughs> and discover the solution to your problems on Lego Startup Expo. And yeah, if, please, if you're watching this on YouTube, like, subscribe, and yeah, just do the whole thing. Share with your friends and well wishers. And our audio lovers, please, you can find out those Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you want to finish it? Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart Radio, Podcast Addict, and everywhere else you get your podcast. Ah, Podcast Addict, Hi, Muyua. All right, see you guys in the next one. Bye-bye. Bye.